Wouldn't it be nice to practice medicine with a crystal ball so you could tell your patients with assuredness what's going to happen in the future? Stay tuned to this special segment on men's health on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Andrew Vickers. Dr. Vickers is an associate attending research methodologist at the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Institute in New York City. Dr. Vickers' clinical research focuses on three areas, randomized trials, surgical outcomes research, and molecular markers studies. Today we're discussing predicting a man's risk of prostate cancer 25 years into the future. Welcome, Dr. Vickers. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You've recently shown that a single PSA sample taken at or before age 50 is a strong predictor of prostate cancer occurring up to 25 years in the future. And that was done on serum that had been frozen for 17 years. What made you think to go back and do this study? How did you conceive of it? It's a great story, actually. In the 70s and 80s in Sweden, in the southern port city of Malmo, they did a a very interesting study on cardiovascular risk prevention. So they invited a whole you know, bunch of men aged under 50 to come in and they had their blood pressure checked and they had their blood taken for their lipids and they said, oh, you know, you've got hypertension, we're, we're going we're to monitor you carefully. Uh, but of course, all this blood went into a freezer and it's been stored there ever since. And then a colleague of mine called Hans Lilia, who is a, an expert in blood markers for prostate cancer, heard about this study and realized that, you know, this is Sweden. So everyone who was born in Malmo's probably going to die in Malmo. And pretty much everyone who took part in this study has stayed in Malmo. We know exactly what happened to them. If any of them were diagnosed with prostate cancer, this goes on the Swedish Cancer Registry. And, you know, we know in which drawer of which hospital their slides are kept. Uh, So he thought, well, you know, we we have this blood. We know what happened to all these patients in terms of their prostate cancer outcomes. Maybe we could go back and look in the blood to see if we could find things that would predict what happened to them in terms of prostate cancer many years later. And the data was based on a study of how many men, how many samples did they have? Well, the overall study had over 22,000 men. We couldn't obviously pull all of those bloods and run them through a lab. It would take too much time and would be far too expensive. So there were about 500 men who were subsequently diagnosed with prostate cancer. Um, We did what's called a case control study. So for every man that was diagnosed with prostate cancer, we found a man who was not diagnosed with prostate cancer who had given blood at a similar time and was roughly the same age as the case. And we matched them three to one. So for every case that was with prostate cancer, there were three controls without prostate cancer, and we went and pulled blood. So we've run two to 3,000 samples of blood by now. And this was a standard PSA measurement that could be done in any hospital? That's right. We thought that maybe there'd be other markers, and there's a marker called the HK2, which is right next to PSA on the chromosome. We thought that might actually predict prostate cancer better. You may also know that there's actually two different types of PSA. It comes in the blood either bound or unbound, and unbound is called free PSA, and it's actually more strongly associated with cancer than total PSA. And we thought, well, maybe we'll, we'll look at just the free PSA or the complex PSA or all these different sort of subtypes of PSA. But actually what came out strongest was your overall PSA level being a very strong predictor of subsequent prostate cancer. Now, many men have prostate cancer that is in situ and never causes any clinical disease. Here you get a positive PSA when you're 50. 
How does this affect your future? You make a very important point. Far more men will die with prostate cancer than from prostate cancer. And in fact, we've done some studies on men who've died of other causes. And what we did was that a man died in a car accident or a heart attack, and we actually removed the prostate and look at it under the microscope to see if there was any evidence of prostate cancer. And a surprisingly large number of men actually had prostate cancer, even though they were totally unaware or that they had prostate cancer, there was no record of it in the medical notes or anything like that. For example, we calculated that by the time a man is 70, uh, they have about a 40% chance of actually harboring prostate cancer cells in their prostate. Was there a direct correlation between the PSA level and the risk of future cancer? Yes, but the key point about what you described as a clinically indolent cancer is that the relationship remained even for advanced cancers. So these were cancers of unquestionable clinical significance, cancers that had spread outside the prostate or that were metastatic at diagnosis. So when we published our first paper showing that there was this very strong relationship between PSA and prostate cancer, and everyone said, ah, yeah, well, you know, but prostate cancer isn't the problem. It's, it's the advanced prostate cancers that are the problem. So we repeated our analysis, restricting it to only those uh, cancers that were advanced at diagnosis, and we saw pretty much the same relationship. And in fact, it was, it was even strengthened somewhat. I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable for this special segment on men's health on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Andrew Vickers of the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Institute in New York City. We're discussing the positive predictive value of an elevated PSA by age 50 for the development of prostate cancer 25 years later. The geneticists must be having a ball with this. You know, you find somebody with an elevated PSA and you start looking for the gene that predicts prostate cancer. Anything going on in that area? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of work on genes and prostate cancer. And there's actually an interesting side story to this because if I tell anyone this story, you know, at a, at a party or, you know, I meet someone in the park, they ask what they do and I explain, explain this, right? Even when I, I go and meet with groups of prostate cancer patients and tell them about my work, they'll go, wow, this is, this is incredible. This is great. Uh, we actually had a lot of trouble getting any of this published. And I think that was because, you know, PSA, that's old stuff, you know, it was discovered in the 80s. Everyone knows about PSA. It's a bit boring. Now, a couple of months ago, a paper came out showing that a man's genes could predict the risk of prostate cancer. This got into the New England Journal of Medicine. It was front page news on the New York Times, you know, above the fold. This was a sort of major story. And, you know, we, we actually looked at the paper. It was a very interesting paper and it was, it was well done. And the, what they found was absolutely true, that particular mutations were associated with an increased risk of prostate cancer, but not by very much. The genes really didn't tell you that much. Just to, to give you a comparison, the, the way that you measure how good a particular marker is at telling you what's going to happen and how accurate it is, is on a scale of 0.5 to 1. So 0.5 is a coin flip, mm-hmm. right? You might as well just flip a coin to see who's going to get prostate cancer. And one would be, you can tell with 100% certainty who's going to get prostate cancer and who isn't on the basis of this marker. The genes that they published in the New England Journal of Medicine, the predictive accuracy that we recalculated using the data they published, the predictive accuracy was about 0.57. So 
you know, statistically different from a coin flip, but nothing you get too excited about. You know, what we'd reported was areas under the curve. Predictive accuracy is in the range of 0.75, 0.77, So that's really highly statistically significant. I mean, that really puts you at high risk. I think the key point is not just statistical significance, but clinical significance. What we've been able to show is that using a single PSA gives clinically relevant information to a man that would help him make decisions about screening and chemo prevention. And I think with the genes, well, yeah, there's a statistically significant association, but there's not really enough information on which to base a clinical decision. So to go to the practical, what would you personally do if you were 45 to 50 years old and found out you had a high PSA? How would you change your life or your screening or your management? So the general recommendation that we're working towards, and I should mention that you know, our research is at a relatively preliminary phase. We've, we've only published two or three papers so far. We're, currently, we've, we've updated our database and we're reanalyzing our data looking at endpoints such as death from prostate cancer. And after we've completed those studies and also replicated our studies on an entirely separate independent cohort, then I think we'll come up with some firmer conclusions. But the broad sweep of what we're working at right now is that if a man, right now it's recommended that prostate cancer screening starts at age 50. And the recommendations from, say, the American Cancer Society is roughly speaking that starting at age 50, men should get an annual PSA test. And, you know, most men aren't at high risk of prostate cancer, and they've, you know, perhaps heard in the news that it isn't a particularly good test. And so currently, right now, only about 50% of men aged 50 to 70 get regular prostate cancer screening using the PSA tests. So what we would recommend is a very concerted effort to get 100% of men to get a baseline PSA aged 45 to 50. We should really put a lot of resources into that. And one of the things we can tell men is saying, you know, this really isn't a a test for prostate cancer because very, very few men, you know, only a couple of percent, a small handful, actually will have detectable prostate cancer at that age. Uh, prostate cancer is strongly associated with, with age, and it's really a disease of older men. So we can say, you know, we're not going to test you for prostate cancer now. It's highly unlikely you've got it. We're just getting a baseline. And I think that would be very, very acceptable to men. Yeah, but now you tell them it's high, and they're going to say, well, I'm going to get cancer. Do something for me now. Exactly. So what we've shown in one of our papers is that 50% of the advanced cancers found in men in the top 10% of PSA levels at age 45 to 50, and that 67% are found in, in men with the top 20%. Now, if we said to a man, yes, look, I'm sorry, Mr. Jones, I've got some bad news. You're actually at very high risk of, of getting prostate cancer. You really need to come back and see me every year for a PSA test, because if you are going to get this disease, we need to catch it early. If we catch it early and take it out, it's probably not going to shorten your life. Now, you're going to follow the person's PSA annually. At what level of PSA do you need to move to the next step, be it a biopsy or a procedure? Well, that doesn't actually differ very much from the current recommendations. So the current way the PSA test is used is to find out whether a man actually has cancer. What we're suggesting is that it can also be used to find out a man's risk of subsequently being diagnosed with cancer. So the typical recommendations right now are that a man with a PSA of above three or four, uh, there should be some discussion with the uh, urologist or the primary care physician as to whether a biopsy would be indicated to determine for sure whether that individual actually has prostate cancer. So you're not changing screening recommendations yet? Well, what we would say is that you could integrate the idea that PSA could give you information about the long-term risk of prostate cancer with the current understanding of PSA as a test for whether you currently have prostate cancer. Our belief, as I think I've mentioned before, only 50% of American men are currently getting regular 
prostate cancer tests. They're probably not the right 50%. If, if we could actually focus on the men who are at highest risk, we would stand a much better chance of making a large impact on the toll that prostate cancer takes. Now, I have a friend who had an elevated, significantly elevated PSA and went through multiple biopsies. I think they did 25 biopsies at a given time. They all came back negative. Does your data mean he can't breathe a sigh of relief? I don't think so. When a statistician gives you a prediction, they don't say you're going to get prostate cancer or you're not. They give you a probability. And so we've actually published graphs where you can look at your PSA level at age 45 to 50 on the x-axis, and you can look up and see what your risk of future prostate cancer is on the y-axis. Now, someone at really very, very high risk, let's take 50%, I mean, we'd, we'd think that's off the charts. I mean, that's, you know, that's five times the average risk. That's a really very, very high risk of cancer. But of course, only half of those individuals will actually get prostate cancer. I'd like to thank Dr. Andrew Vickers, who's been my guest for this special segment on men's health. We've been discussing how an elevated PSA by age 50 has a positive predictive value for prostate cancer 25 years later. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and enjoy our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.